All right. Um, how many of you have been reading Job this week? How many of you kind of got bogged down in a really long speech? <sighs> yeah. Um, this week, and I'm sure because Jeremy does a lot of the dividing up and stuff, we had a whole week of one speech. And with with Job, we the way it's gone is, you know, first couple chapters sets the stage, and then you have Job going, "Oh, woe is me!" And then you have his his friends, each one to another, just kind of gang up on him. It's because you're a sinner. It's because you're a sinner. That's why God God's punishing you. You're a sinner. And then Job's like, "No, no, no, no! This isn't right." And and then his, his friends are like, "Oh yeah, it is right because you know you're kind of a jerk, and and God's paying you back." And he's like, "You know, I'm." I'm trying to be in this righteous life. I, I, I don't, I don't deserve this. And then, out of n- nowhere, it seems, this young man pops up. We we weren't we weren't privy to him being part of the conversation. All of a sudden, he shows up and he gives the longest speech. Of Job. His name is Elihu. So today's sermon is what do we do with Elihu? Hey, okay. So let's let's do a little introduction, and I'm going to I'm going to read the first five verses of Job 32. So we'll start there, and um, we'll look at it. So here we go. Starting in verse 1. So these three men stopped answering Job because he was righteous in his own eyes. But Elihu, son of Barakel, the Buzite of the family of Ram, became very angry with Job for justifying himself rather than God. He was also angry with the three friends because they had found no way to refute Job and yet had condemned him. Now Elihu had waited before speaking to Job because they were older than he. But when he saw that the three men had nothing more to say, his anger was aroused. Now, I'm sure as you read through this, a lot of things went through your mind. But let's look at a few things before we launch into a section of Elihu's speech. Okay, First of all, when they introduce Elihu... We actually know more about Elihu than we do any of his friends. Actually, even more than Job. Other than God talking about Job. We know, we know his dad. We know his ethnicity. We know where he's from. That, isn't that interesting? Starting from Job 1... And then we get to Job 32. We didn't know anything about this guy. And then all of a sudden we know a lot more about this guy than we know about. We know that he's younger. We know that he's been privy to the conversation. I I think sometimes when we were looking at, when we look at Job, it sort of feels like Job's in his house. His wife just told him, hey, dude, just curse God and die. And then his, his three friends like come to his house and they're like, hey, man, we should just be quiet for a week or so. And then starts the conversation. 
when we get to this, we realize that maybe there were other people around listening to Job and his friends talk. Maybe a lot of times in places like this, when things were going on, we have people hanging out at the city gates. And this could very well be the location of all of this that's going on. Or a series of conversations may have been taking place outside of Job's home. It may have been done around the city gates or a place where other people were privy. Because we know from the conversation that Elihu talks about He's heard everything. But he's remained silent at first because he was younger. But boy, does Elihu make up for it. I mean, he goes for chapter after chapter after chapter. And so um, here's a few things I want to tell you about. First of all, it says that Elihu is angry at Job and at the three friends. One, because he feels like Job has justified himself before God. He's more worried about himself than more about God. And his friends, he's mad at his friends because his friends can't refute Job. They don't have any evidence that he's been unrighteous. So he's angry at everybody. In fact, because we know that this is probably the most ancient of all the text in the canon of scripture. He's the original angry young man. Hmm. We also know because we know so much about Elihu. It could very well mean that he is actually the author of the book of Job. That, that's my stance. I think he actually wrote it. Because we know so much more about him. We know everything he says. And he was, he was privy to the whole conversation. Not that that means much. Other than the fact that. When you look at what Elihu has to say. And we did this whole week. If you didn't you need to catch up. You need to read through all of it. Um, I think. That if you take Elihu's speech out of the story of Job, you don't miss much, honestly. And so, in my estimation, this is a good idea of the authenticity of Scripture. Because if I was going to make up a story and I was going to write a story about a guy named Job and his three friends to be able to talk about suffering and talk about God, I would not have Elihu in the conversation. And as a matter of fact, if you look after Elihu's speech, because God comes in right away and starts talking to Job. And I'm not going to steal your thunder for next week, but maybe a little bit. Um, God completely ignores Elihu. He didn't say anything about Elihu's speech. He, he, he calls his other three friends to task. He completely ignores them. And so why, was he, why would it be in here? Well, it's probably in here because this is exactly what happened. Okay. So let's look at Job 33. 
which is um, Elihu's speech. I sort of skipped the rest of 32 because honestly, Elihu, for a chapter and a third, he's basically telling Job, I'm going to speak. It takes him a chapter to, to, to actually start saying something. He, he goes on, and, okay, I'm going to talk. You know, took a little time because there's people older than me or wiser than me. But uh, you better listen because I'm going to speak. And he just keeps talking and talking. Say something already. And so we get to chapter 33. And he's still saying, I'm going to say something. And he says this. But now, Job, listen to my words. Pay attention to everything I say. I'm about to open my mouth. My words are on the tip of my tongue. My words come from an upright heart. My lips sincerely speak what I know. The Spirit of God has made me the breath of the Almighty gives me life answer me then if you can stand up and argue your case before me i'm the same as you in god's sight i too am a piece of clay no fear of me should alarm you nor should i my hand be heavy on you but you have said in my hearing okay now he's speaking he's finally going to say something and he uses job's words And he speaks against what Job has said. He says, I heard the very words. I am pure. I have done no wrong. I am clean and free from sin. Yet God has found fault with me. He considers me his enemy. He fastens my feet in shackles. He keeps close watch on all of my paths. But I tell you in this that you are not right. For God is greater than any mortal. Why do you complain to him that he responds to no one's words? For God does speak. Now one way, now another, though no one perceives it. In a dream, in a vision of the night, when deep sleep falls on people as they slumber in their beds, he may speak in their ears and terrify them with warnings to turn them from wrongdoing, to keep them from pride, to preserve them from the pit, their lives from perishing by the sword. Or someone may be chastened on a bed of pain with constant distress in their bones so that their body finds food repulsive and their soul loathes the choicest meal. Their flesh wastes away to nothing and their bones once hidden now stick out. Wait, who does that sound like? I think Lehu is actually describing Job here. But he's saying, you are not being punished job you're being taught a lesson so elihu introduces the idea that god just doesn't just punish wrongdoing sometimes he allows suffering to teach us something or to keep to turn us from one direction to another what elihu says he says this several times to save you from the pit the pit is the bad place to be hell and so Elihu introduces the idea that sometimes suffering can be God's way of teaching and this, and that's revolutionary when it comes to his three friends continuing on they draw near to the pit and their life to the messengers of death Yet if there is an angel at their side, a messenger, one who one out of a thousand sent to tell them how to be upright, and he is gracious to that person and says to God, spare them from going down to the pit. I have found a ransom for them. 
Let their flesh be renewed like a child's. Let them be restored as is in the days of their youth. Then that person can pray to God and find favor with him. They will see God's face and shout for joy. He will restore them to full well-being. And they will go to others and say, I have sinned. I have perverted what is right. But I did not get what I deserved. Okay, so Elihu talking about maybe God is using some of this to teach a lesson. And then he introduces the idea of someone not getting what they deserve. We have a word for that. We, we use this word all the time. But this is exactly what it means. It's the word is grace. Elihu is introducing the idea of grace. That someone intercedes on behalf of someone. Now Job did talk a little about it. He says, remember in my sermon a couple weeks ago, my redeemer lives. He's talking here that there is somebody interceding, guiding and talking to God for them. And that person repents of their sin. And God has grace. Instead of punishing them, they don't get what they deserve. Now, these are two new concepts that before Elihu, we didn't have. Maybe a little bit from Job, but not much. So this young man continues. And they'll go to the 28. And God had delivered me from going down to the pit. And I shall live to enjoy the light of life. God does all these things to a person twice, even three times. To turn them back from the pit. That the light of life may shine on them. Pay attention, Job, and listen to me. Be silent and I will speak. If you have nothing to say, answer me. Speak up, for I want to vindicate you. If not, then listen to me and be silent and I will will teach you wisdom. Now, a lot of commentators, myself included at times, get a little tired of Elihu because he's kind of boastful, proud. He says, I'm right, you're wrong. He goes, he's very, very verbose and he speaks a lot for a long time. It's like, I find myself reading him. I go, okay, enough already. It's like talking to Jeremy. (laughs) But he has some good things to say. And Jeremy included. And so, I don't want to go through the whole speech, but there are some things I want to highlight of the purpose of Elihu's speech and why it's in the Bible. Okay. Now, Job's three friends basically have been operating on the flawed thesis that God is good, but suffering is bad. Therefore, in order for God to not be bad, it is Job who is bad. That's their thesis. If there's suffering in the world and Job's not sinning, that means God is bad. That's their whole thesis. And then Elihu comes in and says, well, maybe it's not God allowing suffering is not necessarily a bad thing. You can be turned from the pit. And that's, I think that's important to see that. 
In his speech, Lehu attempts to solve the mystery that has been set by the apparent contradiction between Job's life, being a righteous man, and his suffering. Because remember, you, you hear that all over in the first 30 chapters, that if you're suffering, Job, it's because you deserve it. And Job counters that. It's like, I see people that are pretty evil, sinful, yet they are doing fine. Thank you very much. And there's that question. How come the evil are, seem to be doing okay and those that are um, righteous or sin, not sinless, but not a lot of sin, the innocent, yet they suffer? So Elihu does a couple of things this way. First thing is that he defends God. Not that God needs defense, but he stands up for the Almighty when he says, what you guys are saying about God is, is not necessarily correct. And he goes through a whole, whole chapter where he says, you know what, God is so great and so amazing he doesn't even worry about you guys. You think God cares about your sin or your righteousness? He's so high above everything that what man does is really inconsequential. Okay? That's one of the things he says. Second of all, Elihu says that it's useless to contend with God. And this is more of an indictment for Job because Job says, man, if I could just talk with him and have, a, have my hearing before God, he would vindicate me. Or I could question him and he could tell me why, why this is happening to me. Which resonates with me because there's sometimes I go through suffering and I go, why? Why is this going on? Why is this happening to me? And Elihu would say, you know what? God doesn't have to defend himself to you. God is God. And you're nothing. He's the creator. He doesn't have to defend himself to you. He doesn't have to say anything to you about why he does the things he does. And ultimately, that's an introduction to when God actually speaks to Job. That's all I'm going to say. Next week, we'll hear about it. Okay. And number three, Elihu talks about the greatness of God. How great God is beyond understanding. We can't even expect to understand anything from God because he's so great. And when we get to just before in Job 37, Elihu starts talking about God and how he works in the storm and you can feel his power and you can see the lightning and you can do it. And then the very next chapter we have God showing up in a storm. But let me tell you where I think Elihu errs. When we talk about the whole of scripture, where did Elihu go wrong? Because I think he did. There's some things he said that I think we need to look at that I think they're important and I've addressed them. But there's also some places that he misses. 
And I think Leah's viewpoint fails that it doesn't present the actual um, tender connection between God and his creation. God and his children, the people that obey his commandments the best they can. Let's look at Isaiah 43, starting in verse 1. Actually, just verse 1. It says, but now, this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, talking to his chosen people, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name, and you are mine. Never see that in Lehu's speech. The tender idea that God cares for you. In Lehu's estimation, He's so great. He just sort of doesn't really work with men. But that's just not true. If we look at the whole of Scripture. So in in Isaiah we see this. Look at the New Testament. New Testament says this. Hebrews 4.15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are. Yet he did not sin. When we, when we bring the idea that God, that Elihu's God is so great, doesn't, doesn't mess up with the, with the affairs of men, what do we do with Jesus? You say, well, that's in, that's in the New Testament. <laughs> Jesus is all over scripture. In fact, Elihu actually mentioned, he talks about an angel who would intercede on behalf. I read that in 33. So, he sort of gets to the point. He sort of doesn't. In short, Elihu condemns Job's friends and Job's claim of being without sin. He declares God's justice. He condemns Job's attitude toward God. And exalts God's greatness. Elihu, in his four-part speech, is followed by God breaking the silence. He doesn't mention Elihu at all. So that's either a good thing or that's a bad thing. I'm not sure which it is, honestly. Because he doesn't really address it like he does the three friends. You were mistaken. So he doesn't tell Elihu, you were wrong. But he also ignores Elihu's speech, which went on for six, five chapters. So... I'm not sure what to do with Elihu's speech, honestly. Because God doesn't address it. Either he says, yeah, you're right, so I'm going to talk to you, Job. Or he's just like, okay, just shut up already. I'm going to come and take care of things. I'm not sure. But it's important since it's in Scripture for some reason. So we need to look at that. Let me offer you some insights about Elihu's life and his speech which means, which would be good for us for today. Okay? Number one. Elihu dealt with the real issues of the situation. Rather than looking at the situation from a human perspective. Remember, Job's friends have an idea about God. And when this stuff happens to Job, they are trying to 
match everything with what they believe rather than looking at the situation. Do you, do you know that about people? You have They have their whole idea of how God works, how the world works. And then when something doesn't fit their idea, they, they choose their idea rather than looking at the situation and say, okay, God, I need to learn something new. We do that all the time. We do that all the time. Who doesn't? He looks at the perspective because remember, it would be really quick to say, you know, God judges the wicked and blesses the innocent. Instead, Lehuku says, well, maybe, maybe, Job, God's trying to teach you a lesson. I'm not, I'm not sure if that's actually what was going on. Actually, it sort of proves that God said he's going to follow me regardless of whether good things happen to him or bad things happen to him. Lehu misses it, but he's, he's trying to look at the situation rather than stick with his idea of what God is. Second of all, Lehu emphasizes God and his greatness rather than focusing on the human response to problems. Sometimes we're not going to get it. We're not going to get it figured out. But if we focus on God and His greatness, we can get through it. Honestly, listen. We're not going to be able to understand everything that goes on in our life. I have lots of questions that I don't have answers for. But you know what? I know who has the answers. Not that I'm privy to them. But that's where faith begins. And that's where I trust God. Even if I don't know it all. And I think that's one of the stories that we need, we need to know. And we need to get from, from, from Job. Suffering in this life is a reality. It is. Sometimes we don't know why suffering is a reality. But God does. And all I can say is I trust him. Number three. Elihu responds, even though he's angry, with respect. Allowing others to speak first before offering his own response. This can help us today as we seek to understand why God allows suffering and and as we attempt to help others who face suffering. You don't have to defend God. You don't have to make it okay for them. Sometimes it's just important to be with there, be there for them, but not have to stand up for God. And I think that's important when we look at the responses. Because next week, next week, God is going to speak to Job. And it will be interesting to know what he has to tell Job. Because it won't be, it isn't what I 
would expect. Suffering is real. We can't diminish it. It's not a question of if, it's a question of when. And we need to show love and kindness and respect. But we don't have to have all the answers. In fact, when we try to give all the answers, it turns out to be more detrimental than it does helpful. Won't you stand with me? I can't wait till next week because we're going to be reading about what God has to say. He shows up and talks. And this that's a great thing. So the theophany that we're going to have next week is very rare and it's exciting to see what happens. And that's I'm getting you set up next week, buddy. I can't wait to see it and read to read it. Father God, we come before you. We thank you and praise you for all that you do. You are a great God. I agree, I agree with the lady. You're you're great. You're amazing. Help us to continue to look to you. To trust you. Us frail human beings. Help us to minister to those in need. Not by what we say, but just by being there. And loving and serving one another. Father God, as a follower of you. We want to give your name a good name. Not by what we say, but by what we do. Help us to do that with wisdom, with patience, and perseverance. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.